All right, well, it's good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this evening. Let's take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we will read, starting at verse uh, 16, and read down to the end of the chapter. Matthew 1, verse 16. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice there's a change there. It's like, this guy begot this guy, this begot this guy, this guy begot this guy, and begot this guy, and begot this guy. All of a sudden, it's not begot. It's a husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus. So, Jesus wasn't begotten or procreated from Joseph. Didn't have a human father. Anyway, verse 17. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. While he thought on these things... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So now we look at this man, Joseph, greatly used of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. Pray that as we look into the word of God, that we allow you to teach us, instruct us. So we look at this example of Joseph and how you used him, uh, but what uh, characteristics were developed in his life to be usable and pleasing in thy sight. Help us, Father, to consider these things that we might um, uh, pattern our lives after these examples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy two twenty and twenty one says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet, that word meet means fit, for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Your sanctification is a process of changing of growing and of improving in our walk with the Lord. But how does one grow? How, how does one change their life? Well, so like, how do you take a piece of wood and carve out a dog? You cut away everything that doesn't look like a dog. Or how do you take a wrinkle out of your shirt? Well, nowadays you buy permanent press. <laughs> 
Uh, but it used to be, you know, they heated an iron, and it got an iron hot, and you ironed it. You put heat to it. Um, and it changes it. How do you make progress uh, in, in anything, in a business or an academics in school? You have to work at it. You have to be tested. You have to be tried. You have to be stretched. Stretched. And the same is true in the Christian life. You know, Joseph was a man of strength, with strength of character. Uh, you know, his presence at Christ's birth witnesses to a severe test that, you know, in which he emerged triumphant. Uh, you know, character is described as, you know, qualities of honesty, courage, courage and, or integrity. Uh, somebody said strong character is accepting the consequences of what we say and do. It also means developing our potential. Uh, people who are responsible don't make excuses for their action and blame others when things go wrong. They think things through and use good judgment before they take action, unquote. So, you know, so these are the kind of things that we see in the life of Joseph. And I'm going to notice three things, and I have some sub-points as we consider this man tonight and his, how he was used to the Lord. First of all, he demonstrated great faith in the Lord. Uh, the Bible says in verse... Uh, 19, then Joseph, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He was a just man. And, you know, he was a man who believed God. He, he, was, he was made, you know, he, was, uh, uh, but he believed in God. He believed in the Messiah that was to come. Uh, he was one who kept the commandments of God. He lived a godly life. And he demonstrated this by his obedience. If you notice in verse 21, you know, he gets this vision. It says, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in verse 24 it says, Then Joseph, being raised to sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Now this, this required great faith. And understand, the Bible wasn't written then. There was Old Testament scrolls, uh, which... The common man wouldn't have had access to, but you know they would have had them at the the temple, and you know, and I don't even know if the common man would have been uh, had access to read them at the temple. I don't know exactly how that was back in those days, but you know, this before printing presses or any of that sort of thing, so they weren't common among the people, and so there were still open visions. There were still, you know, God still revealed Himself obviously through dreams and visions, and as He reveals Himself to Joseph here. And, and Joseph is sensitive to the Lord. He has great faith in the Lord. When, that, when God speaks to him or reveals something to him, he obeys it. He obeys it. Uh, you know, it reminds us of Abraham. Romans 4, 3 says, What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So he was a man of, uh, that demonstrated great faith in the Lord. He was a just man. Now, his faith produced... Righteous living. Uh, if you notice in verses 24 and 25, it says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So his faith you know, compelled him to do exactly as the Lord instructed him. Uh, he acted on... You know, he, he acted on what he heard from the voice of the Lord. We see this in, also in Luke 
If you turn over to Luke's gospel, you might want to keep your place there because we're going to be going back and forth some. And, you know, these are the only two places in the Bible that this man is even mentioned. Uh, is in Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Uh, but anyway, in Luke 2, 22-24, says, When the days of our purification according to the law were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So again, he does what is commanded or what is written in the law of the Lord, uh, in the word of God. In verse 39, again, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee there, to their own city, Nazareth. And then verses 41 and 42 says, And the child grew and waxed, I'm sorry, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And again, this was something that was, was commanded of the children of Israel to do, was to go to Jerusalem at the Passover. And so, you know, this was at great expense. They couldn't just hop in the, hop in the, the car and, and, and drive on over there, you know. No, they had to walk or ride in a cart if you're wealthy enough and I don't believe Joseph and Mary were wealthy enough to have, have those kind of things. Um, they were considered of the poorer class of people. But, you know, this is, these are the kind of things that he did uh, in, in his life that were co- common ex- uh, exercises of faith. Uh, you know, it would have been said of him like it was said of Zacharias. They were, he was righteous before God. He was a righteous man. That means his conduct was right. Not just that he was saved and declared righteous, but the idea here is that he lived what he believed. Uh, he endeavored to live what he believed. Sort of like Noah in Genesis 7, 1, the Lord said to Noah, Come down all thy house in the ark, for thee have I seen so righteous. In other words, this is something that was seen in his lifestyle. Thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So we're talking about a right standing with God that will show itself with righteous conduct. You know, Nehemiah 7.2. Uh, Nehemiah says that I gave my, to my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man. You know, he was, he, his conduct was that which he, he kept the commands of God, and it says he feared God above many. You know, instead of Abraham, for I know him that he will command his children and the household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. So, so here was a man whose faith produced right conduct. He was, it was a habit of his life, it was customary of his life, that he kept the commands God gave him. The expectations that God placed upon them, he kept. Uh, and was faithful in, in, in uh, performing those. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man, who can find? A faithful man, who can find? You know, you would have thought that, you know, to bring the king into the world, the king of Israel, they would have been born of royal stock, of, of, of somebody more prominent in society. But no. Although he was of royal descent, he was just a commoner among the people. He was really of the, he, him and Mary both were of what, what they would say, you know, if you're, you're 
talking about classes of people, peasant stock, the poor of the day. Um, but they were godly people. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean that there, there was no godly rich, but but uh, uh, that they were godly people. Uh, those who religious leaders of the day were corrupt. Uh, Proverbs twenty five nineteen says, "Confidence in unfaithful men in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint." And in Proverbs twenty four twenty one says, "My son, fear the Lord, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that give and exchange." You know, we we heard a lot you know during Obama's t- uh, tenure about the mantra of hope and change. Hope and change. Yeah, we got a lot of change, but we didn't get any hope. Um, and now we have no hope. Uh, you know, Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And here is a man who's going to abound with blessings. You know, his, his name is recorded in history as having a great part or impact in the, 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 the bringing of the Son of God into the world and, and the, the responsibility he had in that, in that, in that incarnation, uh, and the Bible says in First Corinthians four two, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So his his faith produced righteous living. He was a faithful man. He, what we read of him continually is he he performed the duties that were commanded according as it was written. You know, what we would say today, he was a Bible believing Christian. He wasn't one of those people that just said. Said he was a Christian and didn't live it. No, he lived it. He lived it. Uh, it showed in his life. So he demonstrated great faith in the Lord. Secondly, he was willing to count the cost. There was a cost for the Lord. And, and notice, I want to notice two things here. Uh, first of all, he was willing to bear reproach. Uh, for the Lord. In verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused, that really in today's understanding that would mean like an engagement. Although this was a, uh, in Jewish culture, a it was really a binding contract. It was much stronger than our engagement. And, and although there was no physical marriage contact, it was actually considered a marriage covenant. Um, but it was espoused to Joseph before they came together, so they, 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 never, they never had any physical intimacy at this point. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to put, make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought in these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And then in verse 24, again, then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel Lord had bidden him, and took him, took unto him his wife. So, so here you have an instance that, that's made known to Mary, is made known to Joseph, uh, and it was known by Elizabeth also, and Zacharias, but by very few who really believed it, of a woman who's expecting she's pregnant and never known a man. Never known a man. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a, the miracle of the virgin birth. And, and to, to the world looking on, what they see is this is an illegitimate child. In fact, 
In John 8, and verse 41, this is the accusation that the Pharisees threw to the face of Jesus. In John 8, 41, you do the deeds of your father. This is what he said to them. You do the deeds of your father. They say to him, then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So they're accusing him to be a legitimate child. That's what they're accusing him of. So, you know, again, the ruling class in, in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they didn't believe in the virgin birth. People in charge of the temple sacrifices, which would have been be seen yearly. Uh, you know, and if they, if they were willing to say it to him publicly... How much more did they say it in private? Not to your face, you know. Uh, you know, this, this would have meant to Joseph that he would never be considered on equal footing with them. He would always be considered a person of question by many. This would, he would always be considered with, as a person of a damaged reputation. And so he would have to live under that. But you see, he was willing to count the cost. He was willing because the Lord, this is what the Lord instructed him to do. It was of the Lord. So he was more concerned about what the Lord commanded him than what the world thought of him. You know, what the world thought of him wasn't as great a concern as being obedient to the Lord. So it would have cost him his public image, a public image. But the second thing we see here, he was also willing to sacrifice to protect those given to his care. Again in verse 21, She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, you know, he, this is not his son. It's not his son. But he is the one chosen to become the guardian or the father figure for him. He was the one that God chose to provide a home for the Lord to grow up in. And he, he also, he earned that title, father, though he wasn't his father. Uh, if you notice in Luke again, in Luke 2 and verse 33, Luke 2 and verse 33, uh, says, And Joseph and his mother marveled those things which are spoken of him. It's not the verse I'm looking for. Um, oh, verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, this is, he's 12 years old at this point. They were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And uh, so, so he, was, he was to be the father figure. Uh, he was the father figure in his house. And Jesus subjected himself to, to, to him. Uh, in fact, in John 1.45, again, it says, And Philip finds Nathanael, saith in him, 
we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh, so so he, he is the one, who, he's willing to sacrifice to protect, you know, to, to, to feed an extra child, to take care of an extra child that's not yours, is an expense. I mean, that's real life. But here is a man who's willing. He's willing. He's, he's got character. He, he's willing to be responsible, the responsible man here, and provide that. He's willing to be inconvenienced. Notice the protection, the protection he provided for him. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. This is, of course, after the, the wise men came and Herod's threatening. And it says, And when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he rose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So he was willing to provide for his protection, to be inconvenienced. Look at verse 19. Matthew 2.19, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, for they are, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he rose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go hither, Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, and might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets, he should be called a Nazarene. Now, so, so he was willing to, to, to uh, you know, provide the means and the expense to take him into Egypt to protect him from Herod, because Herod killed all the babies two years and under. He wanted to kill him. And, of course, when Herod was dead, he... he, he uh, he bring, comes back, but instead of going back into Judea because of Achilles, uh, Herod's son, he goes to Galilee. Now, you know, it seems to indicate that that's not where he originally lived. This was an inconvenience to him in many ways. And you know, this was this was a uh, this was a sacrifice that he was willing to make. Uh, you know, there were there were differences in Judea and Galilee. There's there's one one writer says there's seven basic differences between the two places racially. The area you know Galilee is the north north of Samaria. And then you have Samaria in the middle, and then you have Judea in the south. That's where all the, the, uh, the, the ruling class live, is in the south, around Jerusalem, the mountainous area there. And so the, the northern kingdoms, you know, they were originally carried away by the Assyrians and then, then brought back and populated mixed, with mixed races of people. And so, and that's really what Samaria is, but there was more mixed race of people, population in the northern area around Nazareth and, and Galilee areas, and, and so they were considered liberal by uh, Jewish standards in that day. They were separated from Judea by the non-Jewish territory of Samaria, 
and, and so, you know, geographically, it was out of out of place. It was made it more difficult to go to the Passover and go to Jerusalem, and which he did. Uh, you know, it was under a separate administration from Judea, most of its history. Uh, economically, it was really better off because it was agricultural and fishing, although they considered that the lower class of society. Uh, but they were despised by their southern cousins. Uh, and they spoke. You know, we, we, we learned this from Peter. You know, when Peter was warming himself at the fire, one of the, one of the says, Thy speech bereath thee. You are a Galilean. You know, they had a they had an accent. They uh, uh, and that was a joke to the people of Judea. So, so they were they were looked down upon. Those people from Galilee were looked down upon by the ruling class and those in Judea. So, but so he was he was willing. He was a willing to pay the price. He was willing to be to count the cost to serve the Lord in this capacity. But I want you to notice a third thing. He displayed temperance in his life. Now, temperance, uh, somebody described temperance as a habitual moderation regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. And I notice two things in particular here as we consider this, the temperance of this man. First of all, he was not rash or hasty in judgment. Notice verses 19 and 20. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So the word privately here means, it really has the idea he was going to do it uh, privately, he without involving public attention, without involving the Sanhedrin, who were the ruling class in Jerusalem and in, in Judea at the time, uh, who, by the way, in their zeal may have stoned her. That's what they wanted. Remember the, one, the, the lady that caught, they, they caught in adultery and brought to Jesus? They, they said, the Moses commanded us to stone her. What do you say? But see, he did not seek revenge for an appeared... Betrayal of trust. You know, Romans twelve seventeen says, "Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in sight of all men." You know, he could have made her a public example. He could have shamed her, but he actually cared. He cared for her, and he was not just concerned about himself. You know, he here here's a man who who isn't going to rush to judgment. It says he thought on these things. You know, he's, going to, he's bringing it to mind. He's revolving it over in mind. He's going to think it through before he acts. Before he acts or reacts. So, you know, he is considerate of others. And this is a principle that's taught throughout the Scriptures. If... For men who are honored, or people, men or women who are honored, either way. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, in verse 2, says, Fill ye my joy that be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things 
of others. And so, so Paul says, wrote to the church at Philippi, you know, there's a couple of women there who were contentious with one another, and he's telling them, you know, he'll tell them in chapter 4, and he'll name them that they need to uh, be of the same mind, the Lord. And so he's giving instructions prior to that, that look, you, you're not to, you're not to do nothing through strife or vainglory, don't, not seeking your own way, not having to have your own will, but be considered of others and esteem others better than yourselves. So don't look on your own things, but look on things of others. Consider others as well. And then he gives three examples of that. And the first one is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't, wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about us. And then in verse 19 to 21, he uses the example of Timothy, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that it also may be a good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm going to send Timothy because Timothy will care for your state. And in Epaphroditus, in verse 25, he says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, for God had mercy on him, and not in him only, but on me also, lest I should sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice." that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh in the death, not regarding his own life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So Paul's using these men as an example. He said, here's a guy that, that for the work of Christ was nigh in the death. He didn't regard his own life. That wasn't his major concern. But of others. And so the basis of this is he considered himself, you know, he considered himself a sinner who had received the mercy and grace of God, which all of us have, and therefore we should demonstrate that to others. It's not about me, it's about thee. Ephesians 5, that was the, the, the Jesus' mind, as we consider this is his mind, and Philippians 2.5, his mind was, Husbands, love your, Christ, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So his, his mind wasn't concerned about having what he wanted. His concern was doing what is right and pleasing to the Lord and his care of others. That was his concern. And so he, didn't, he was not rash or hasty in passing judgment on Mary. After all, you know, if he was to stand before God, you know, sort of like Jesus said to the Pharisees when they brought that woman to him and said, you know, the law says we should stern him, what sayest thou? And he starts writing on the ground. And then they pressed him and he said, well, either without sin cast the first stone at her. And he starts writing on the ground again, you know. I don't know what he was writing on the ground. That's one of the questions I want, I want to find out when I get to heaven. It's, Lord, what were you writing on the ground? You know, there's a lot of speculation what he's writing on the ground, but 
really don't matter. You know, they began to be convicted in their conscience. Hmm. I guess that eliminates me. Starting with the oldest. You know, some usually the youngest are a little slow to figure it out. You know, less experience. Usually, not always. You know, Job's older friends weren't as smart as his younger friend, Elihu. But, you know, they, they, they figured out, you know what? We're not guiltless either. So why should we be the ones to pass judgment? So they weren't, he wasn't rash or hasty in judgment. He exercised, and secondly, he exercised great discipline in his life. And again, this discipline is displayed by the fact that he wasn't hasty in judgment, but it's also by the fact that in verse 19, that he, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Uh, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She will bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, so again, he was willing to do this, uh, not afraid of the consequences that would, might come his way. And then verse 25, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, get the picture here. Verse 18, when he hears about it, when the Lord reveals this to him, uh, when he hears about Mary's with child, they haven't yet, they haven't yet, cons- they haven't yet been mar- actually married and living in the same house. You know, he's been preparing. Often what they would do, the Jewish custom was, you would, like a contract, sign a, 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 uh, a, a marriage contract of a spousal that you were going to marry this man's daughter and you would begin to pay a dowry and you'd go prepare your house. And she stayed with her parents until you had the house prepared. When the house was ready, then the marriage took place. And then they went to the house to live together. That's kind of how it was. So, so when he heard about it, they had not yet come together, but after he hears about it, and the Lord gives him instruction, he did. Then he says he's raised from lead, and, and did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. So he took her home to his house. However, he knew her not. You know, he didn't, he was, again, he, he you know, this was, this was going out of his comfort zone. Uh, he didn't take an easy way out here, but the right way. The right way. You know, he thought about it. It says he thought on these things, verse 20. He gave consideration. He went to the word of God, determined to act accordingly. You know, Psalm 119, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. And, and so here, here's a man that he is blameless as far as his conduct and his keeping of the commands of God. He does exactly what the Lord commands him. You know, because he could have, you know, what he was planning to do, again, what he was planning to do 
according to scriptures, was give her a writing of divorcement. That's what the Jewish engagement required. Because Deuteronomy 24.1 says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, let, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. So, he was going to give her a bill of divorcement. But, and of course, the Lord instructed him otherwise. Now, Psalm 37.23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You know, we need the light in doing the will of the Lord. And he restrained, he, he restrained his natural passions. Verse, verse 25 again, He knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, all of this was a real test of Joseph's character. Nine months of newlyweds and no physical intimacy. See, it was not about himself. It was about the Lord. It wasn't about Joseph getting what he wanted. It was about Joseph fulfilling the Lord's will in his life. And what we see here is God finding a man, a commoner. We would call him a commoner, just an ordinary person a carpenter who is willing to do whatever the Lord commands him, whether there's a cost or not. He's willing to be that living sacrifice. He's willing to subdue his flesh. He's willing to do the things that are difficult and hard. There are things that require sacrifice, denial, of self. You know, when life's, when the trials of life, you know, many times we make excuses why we can't do something or why we act the way we do, but, you know, when the trials of life really are for the purpose of testing and stretching our growth, just like we, you know, when we're, we're, we're teaching our children in school, what we're doing is we're stretching their minds. Do they like it? No. Some people seem, some of them seem to just like learning, but you learn to like that. It doesn't come natural. You can learn to like it. If you like to gain knowledge, if you're not lazy, if you're willing to sit down and, you know, some of us would rather work other ways. But anyway, um, but it develops character and it requires sacrifice. We looked at, but, but the reward of it is high honor. This is the reward. You know, though there was a great sacrifice for Joseph, there's a reward. There's a great reward. Everybody in the whole world knows just about. If they know about Jesus, they know about Joseph. They know about Joseph. You know, instead of the Jesus in Philippians 2... You know what it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then verse 9, you know what it says? Wherefore, and, we, and we, verse, verse 8 says, he humbled himself. And then verse 9 says, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. You see, if you're willing to deny yourself and humble yourself 
to obey the Lord, something that the Lord has for you in your life, He will exalt you. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5. 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Now, all of Joseph's life, all of Joseph's life, and we don't know how long he lived, it doesn't appear that he is living by the time of the crucifixion. Because, remember, Jesus told John, Mother, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. He was committing his mother to John's care. So evidently Joseph is already dead. But all of Joseph's life, he bore that reproach that his wife had an illegitimate child. But now we all know. And he's highly regarded. He's envied. To have had the part that he had. You know, you say, well, did Jesus learn anything from him? Oh, yeah, I believe he did. I believe he learned hard work and labor in the carpenter's shop. That was hard work. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 5.8 that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So as a human being, the hardships of life bore on him just like any other child. And he learned to subject himself to the difficulties of life. And not, and to overcome them. So, you know, this was a man, this was Joseph, the man who was greatly used by God. You know, he was willing to lay aside his own ambitions, his own desires. He was willing to be inconvenienced. You know, traveling to Egypt was, would have been at great expense. Time. And then moving to a different place, Nazareth. Of, what, of, of whom it was said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So, so it wasn't a great place to live. But see, that didn't matter. What mattered is what the Lord revealed to him in his word. He was known to perform that which was written according to the law. This was the kind of man that Joseph was. This is the kind of man that God, the kind of man and woman that God uses. One that's willing to obey his commands above all else.